All foes. Saw Rob and Amy Garland visiting. Are they here? No? Amy was, and she's... Okay, excellent. So she's probably out talking to folks, I'm guessing. So Amy Garland is here this morning visiting up from Florida. So if you get a chance to greet them, that would be great. Uh, we have Matt and Cheryl Frank here with us this morning, back from their honeymoon. We want to welcome them. Thanks for being here this morning. So cool to have you guys. I thought I saw baby Bella Russo. I don't know if she's in the room or not today, but she was earlier. Is Bella in the room? Excellent. Back there in the corner, somewhere. Welcome, baby Bella. That's Mario. He's, he's not looking like a baby, but he has one, so a little bit of a baby face maybe, but um, thanks for being with us this morning. Oops, I think I did something here. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. We're going to be reading verses 23 through 31. This is God's holy, inerrant, inspired word. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Let's pray. Father, we, we are often weak. We, we are aware of our weakness at, at times more than others. God, we are aware of our need for you. God, sometimes we face opposition in our workplace, Lord, in families, in relationships, God, we face opposition in different walks of life. But Lord, we come to you, the sovereign God who is over all. And we come to you in faith, knowing that you, Lord, you have, have called us, you have adopted us, you've made us your own. And so Lord, with confidence, we, we pray that you would enable us to be the people you've called us to be. God, I pray that this morning you would enable me to preach your word in weakness, Lord. I, I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray for all of us who are here this morning that are feeling weak, that you would fill with your Holy Spirit. Enable us to hear from you. God, I pray that you would impart more of yourself and faith in you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, have you ever been afraid of getting into trouble for something you said? I know that I have often found myself in the place where I've, I've said things that when they got out, I realized, oh my gosh, I hope nobody finds out about that. I remember when I was uh, a kid in, in school, and I had been talking uh, badly about the principal. And I spoke ill of the principal, and I was mouthing off, and then word got back to the principal about what I had said. And I was, I was afraid of the consequences because I knew I would face his opposition. It was just opposition. It was not because I had been speaking God's words. I'd been speaking foolish words. I'd been arrogant and proud. And there's often times when, when, when we are aware of facing opposition because we've done something wrong or done something bad, but the disciples were not in that place. They had actually been speaking God's words. They had been speaking the truth. They had been speaking about who Jesus is and who he, who he was and that he, was, he died and he was resurrected. And the disciples were facing opposition for that. And they found themselves in a place of trouble. They found themselves in a place where they were facing sincere, severe opposition. They were aware of what the potential consequences were. Put yourself in their shoes for a moment. Think about it. This is, this is probably just within a month or so of when they had seen Jesus die and when he'd been resurrected. This is not very long after they had been forgiven, after Peter had been forgiven for denying his own Lord. And they were aware of what the consequences were because they, they were facing the same people who killed, who crucified their Lord. They were facing potential jail time. They were facing potential flogging. They were, they were potentially facing being put to death for speaking in the name of Jesus, their Lord, who had just been crucified a short while earlier. This wasn't just a slap on the wrist or humiliation from the Jews. They were facing sincere, severe opposition. If you remember, as Aaron reminded us today, that Peter and John, they were going into the temple to worship as, as, as they were doing in the early church. They were worshiping together. They were going to the temple. And as they were going into the temple, they met a man there who was lame from birth. And this man who was lame from birth, he looked up at them and he asked them for alms. And if you remember, Peter looked down at him and he says, look on us. And the, and the man is expecting he's going to receive something financial. And Peter says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Talk about a dramatic display of God's power. And this man, he leaps up, and they go into the temple together celebrating, and he is walking and leaping, and he's praising God. And so the, the people hear a commotion, and everyone in the temple grounds, they come rushing to hear that this man who they've seen since birth, who's about 40 years old now, is now walking. And so Peter uses that occasion to, to teach and to preach. He didn't shy away. He knew where he was. You remember that the last time Jesus spoke in the temple courts, he was opposed. And they knew the results of that. And yet, when they are there, they couldn't help but proclaim the good news of Jesus because I think, particularly for Peter, because Peter was aware of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Peter was aware of the mercy that he'd received. He was aware that he was an undeserving sinner who'd received God's grace and forgiveness when... He had no merit on his own. 
And so then he had seen the resurrection power of Jesus and he experienced Jesus' forgiveness. And so now he is preaching the word of God, the good news of Jesus Christ boldly. And the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they don't like this. The Sadducees, they hated talking about the resurrection. They didn't believe in the resurrection from life. And so the Sadducees, they bring him in front of this tribunal, really. And they bring him in front of the chief priests and the elders and the, and the Jewish leaders. And, and they warned them not to speak in the name of Jesus. They put them in jail overnight. They questioned them. And they say, what authority do you do this? And Peter and John share that they, they have to listen to God and give heed to him instead of giving heed to men. And they warned them and threatened them, but they had to let them go because they were afraid of the people's reaction because everyone knew that what had taken place was, was genuinely from God. But when they released them, they warned them. And so the disciples are facing serious opposition. And if you pay close attention, this passage that we have before us today, it it teaches us how do we view opposition? How do we respond when opposition comes as a Christian? Because if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and if you are speaking in his name, opposition will come. So how do we as Christians, how do we view opposition when it comes? How do we respond to opposition? How do we think about opposition? We have to ask ourselves, why do we have this account here? This is not just a nice story about how do they respond when they were threatened, when they faced opposition, but this is meant for our instruction and for our good. And I believe that God has given us this account in Acts because we need to see that God is sovereign over opposition. God, he is sovereign over opposition. And he uses, he uses opposition so that we might depend on him in prayer and we might be empowered by his spirit to proclaim him. That's the main idea of this passage this morning I believe that God would have for us, that this passage teaches us that God is sovereign over all opposition. Are you facing opposition in your life? Are you facing difficulty? Are you facing challenges, whether that be in your workplace or at school or maybe it's in relationships? God is sovereign over opposition and he uses it so that we might depend upon him in prayer and be empowered by his spirit to proclaim him. Why why did Peter and John respond like this? They had hope in the sovereignty of God. What did they do immediately after facing this opposition? Where did they go? Well, it says that they went to their own. Is actually the, the word in the original language. It's not just that they, they went to their friends. I think the ESV kind of words it a little differently. But they went to their own, and then they prayed that they might be able to proclaim the word of God with boldness. When disciples of Jesus Christ face opposition, what do they do? They, they pray and proclaim his word. This passage, it really teaches us three primary ways that we should view and think about and respond to opposition to the gospel. When we are faced with opposition to the gospel, when we are faced with opposition and difficulty in our homes, in our families, in our relationships, in jobs, in the workplace, in the marketplace out there, when you go downtown, when you talk to folks, when we face opposition, there's some things that we need to learn from this passage And it teaches us these three primary ways that we can view and respond to opposition. The first is that God uses opposition to propel his people to prayer. 
how should we respond to opposition? God intends to use opposition to propel us to prayer. Second thing that we can see is that God uses opposition to propel his purposes and his plans. He furthers his plans and purposes through opposition, despite opposition. It's one of the main themes of the book of Acts, really is that God's plans are unhindered. Despite all opposition, Jesus expands his church by the empowering of his spirit. And God uses, you're going to see all throughout the book of Acts, he uses opposition to move his plans and purposes forward. And that's kind of backwards from the way that we naturally think. We think, well, well, if, if God wants to move his plans forward, then why doesn't he just remove all oppositions? Well, no, God, God actually uses opposition to further his plans and demonstrate his sovereignty. And the third thing we'll see is that God uses, his op- uses opposition to propel his people to proclaim him. He uses opposition to propel his people to proclaim him. Often in my own life, when I have faced opposition, is when I am most aware of my need, not only for God's grace, but my need to proclaim the truth of Jesus. And that's what he does in this passage. And in in the face of opposition, the first thing we're going to look at is what these early disciples did. Well, they were propelled to prayer. God used opposition to, to propel his people to prayer. Look down at verse 23, if you will, please. It says, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. They, they went to their own, is what the original says. And they went to their fellow believers, their fellow companions in Christ. And I think Luke uses this term very specifically here in Acts when he says they went to their own because he wants us to see how did they view fellow believers in Jesus Christ. They viewed them as, themselves as part of a body of believers, They viewed themselves as a community of of mutually supportive believers in Jesus Christ. How do you view this church? How do you view your church? How do you view those you are in fellowship with? Do you view them as your own? And do you think, I need to to go to my own when I face opposition and troubles? The Jewish rulers, they had earthly authority and they had means to carry out and enforce their authority. After all, they killed Jesus. But Peter and John, they had not backed down to threats. They had not obeyed the commands to stop speaking about Jesus. But think about it. They must have been tempted to be scared. They must have been tempted to think, hang on. I, we just watched Jesus be crucified by these same people. After all, Peter and John were eyewitnesses. Before, Peter had denied even knowing Christ. When a servant girl around a dimly lit fire confronted him, Peter had denied. But yet now, he is emboldened and filled with the Holy Spirit. He, he is not stopping speaking about Jesus. Even though he knew that they're threats, they weren't idle threats. He knew they could die for being witnesses of Jesus. They must have been tempted to run, but they didn't run. They were weak. They knew they needed help. So they went to their own fellow believers. They didn't try to carry the burden on their own. There's something here I think Luke would have for us to see is that these are the apostles of Jesus Christ. These are a couple of the chosen 12, the ones who will actually in eternity rule on thrones. And yet these men, they were aware of their need for the local body. And so they went to their fellow believers. They didn't try to carry the burden by themselves when they were in trouble. They didn't isolate themselves. They didn't hide. They, they didn't keep things to themselves. They went to the fellow believers in Christ. They told them what had happened, what had transpired. And it's clear that Luke's not only showing us a picture of 
Peter and Luke about how the early disciples lived. That's why Acts is been, has been given to us, is to give us snapshots of the early church and how do they relate to each other? How do they live? How do they respond when they face opposition? How did they trust in God? Where was their hope? This early disciples, they lived in community. They shared their burdens with each other, and that's what we're seeing here, is that Peter and John are sharing their burdens with their fellow believers. They're sharing their lives with each other. They didn't live in isolation. What about you? What about me? How do we respond when we're faced with opposition and, and threats or difficulty? How do you, how do you respond when, we're cha- when you're challenged? When you face trouble? Do we try to shoulder our own burdens? Do we try to carry our own weight? Do we isolate ourselves? Do we just try to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps? We're going to soldier on. But as Christians, we aren't meant to do that. We aren't meant to go it alone. We're meant to live in community to share the problems, the challenges that we face with our own believers. And, and maybe you're facing threats. Maybe you're facing difficulty. Maybe you're facing outright opposition. We're not meant to carry those things alone. Take them to your fellow believers. Opposition and difficulty, they're the times when God uses to connect you with other believers. God uses that opportunity of opposition to actually grow his body, to mature his body, to, to help his body learn how to care for one another. It's been said that when wolves come, sheep huddle. We're, we are his sheep, and, and Peter and John were, were apostles, but even though they were leaders in the church, they didn't try to go it alone. They weren't self-sufficient. They huddled. They didn't guard their self-sufficiency, and they didn't think that they could handle difficulties on their own and be self-sufficient and proud. And so often I know that that's my initial reaction because I don't want anybody else to see my weakness. I don't want anybody else to see my fear. I don't want to admit that I need help and that I need God's grace and I need the grace that God's provided in, in, in our own it's hard for people to support us, though, when they don't know what's really going on. To make the most of the opposition for God's opportunity, we need to actually let people know what's going on in our lives. They needed help. They shared their struggles. They were facing this opposition that, that Jesus had faced before he was crucified. And at the report of the same kind of opposition, the, the believers, they didn't cower. They were moved to action. And what's the first thing that they did? They They gathered together, they shared their story, and then they prayed. Look in verse 24, if you will, please. It says, And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You see, the content of their prayers was they were aware of, that, that God was at work. The response of these believers after they heard the report was to pray, and it says they lifted their voices together to God. What does that mean? Does that mean they all had some script that they were reading from, and so they all read this communal prayer? No, but what it means is someone in their midst, we don't even know who, they raised their voice, and together the believers joined together in prayer and said, yes, we agree. They were joined together in prayer And this is what happens when believers gather together to pray. It is as if we are participating together in, in a symphony where although one person is praying, we are agreeing with that. 
And God hears all of our prayers as, as if all of us were praying together through someone. That's, that's why when we get up and pray as, as a pastor, um, you're joining together in our prayers. It's not just Aaron or myself praying. It's we're praying together to the Lord to hear our prayers. And notice the content of their prayer. What was the content of the prayer that they were propelled to pray? What was the content of their prayer? Well, they prayed biblical truth about who God is. They started praying about who God is. They, they began with acknowledging that God is the sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Why did they begin there? Why did they start there? Did, did, does God somehow forget that he's sovereign? Does God forget that he made the heavens and the earth and, and, and everything in the sea and that he's sovereign over everything and every, everyone? Does God forget that? Is that why they're praying that way? Because they have to remind God because he's a senile, forgetful old man? Well, well no. They were, they were doing a few things. They were reminding themselves of the truth. And let me tell you, when we face opposition, we need to remind ourselves of what's objectively, biblically true in our prayers. There, is, there are some principles here about praying to to God who is sovereign over all, reminding ourselves of the biblical truth of who God is. And also they were acknowledging not only who God is, but they were placing their faith in God who is over all things. And so as they were declaring who God is as creator and sovereign over all, they were also placing their faith in the sovereign creator. They were aware that God's stronger than any that opposed them. And they were aware that without God, their efforts would all be wasted you know, the chief priests and the authorities that they had just left, yes, they had real authority, but they began here because they were declaring, God, you have all authority. You have authority over all earthly rulers, God, so we pray to you. Think about when we pray in our hearts. We need to begin there, that we, we come before God who has authority over all. We come before a sovereign Lord who has created the heavens and the earth and everything and everyone in it. And he has the right and he has the rulership. He has the authority over everything. And so this is the God to whom we come when we face opposition and problems. As creator, God is the master over all of his creation. And, and they say that he's the Lord as well. They declare the truth that he's the ruler over all. He's not just in authority. He has the power and right to do whatever he wills. He's over everything in the heavens and the earth. Think about that for a moment when it comes to your situation, your troubles, your difficulties, maybe opposition you're facing. God is not surprised. God's not surprised that you're encountering difficulties, that you have challenges in your life. God's not surprised when you face opposition. He is not taken off guard. He is sovereign. He is ruling and ordaining everything that happens in our lives for his plans and purposes and for our good. And so we come to God who's not shocked or surprised by situations. We come to God who's not, his plans are not thwarted by difficulties or challenges. You see, the, the disciples here, they, they are thinking theologically as they pray. I, I love that the content of our songs is is, is biblically rich. Why? Because we need to focus our minds on the truth and in our prayers as well. We need to focus our minds on the truth of who God is and we can take heart that in our difficulties, in our opposition, 
They find their place in God's ongoing sovereign plan, and we can have confidence in the results because of this. Whatever we're facing, whatever you're facing this morning, whatever challenge you're facing today, it's, it's part of God's sovereign plan. The disciples are modeling how to think about opposition. So how do we think when we counter opposition and difficulty? How do you think when you counter challenges? Do we think about who God is and then do we apply that to our situation in faith? You see, if we don't do that, where will we end up? Well, we're, we're gonna fall into fear and timidity. If you are not aware of the fact that God's ruling over all things and that he's in control of whatever you're surprised by, then you're gonna fall into fear and timidity and cower or be silent when we are opposed to speaking Christ's name. But these early disciples, they begin their prayer. They're placing their faith in God. They're calling upon him who is over all and ordains and controls all things. In their prayer, they make the connection then. If you look down, it says they make a connection between what David had said in the Psalms and what had happened to Jesus. And and now, because they were preaching in Jesus' name, what happened to them And they're laying hold of a truth that we need to lay hold of as we face opposition. They're praying with awareness. You see, they're they're praying with an awareness that God uses opposition to actually move forward, to propel his purposes and plans. And so as we face opposition in our lives, we can have faith and confidence that God is actually propelling his plan in our life. This is not thwarting God's plans. God even uses bad things. He ordains even things that are difficult to move us forward in him, to grow us in him, to accomplish his good plans and purposes in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Look down at verse 25, please. It says, God, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? What are they praying here? Why are they quoting this? You see, they were saying, God, we, we know that when David spoke prophetically, these were your words. They were enabled by your Holy Spirit. God, it didn't take you by surprise that Jesus was opposed. God, it didn't take you by surprise that the nations raged against him, that the, that the peoples plotted. God, it didn't take you by surprise. Lord, you, you spoke about this so far in the past, before Jesus through your servant David, by your Holy Spirit. Lord, you know all things. And so they're praying, God, the the Gentiles were raging. I love the word that they use there for raging. It's it's like the snorting of a horse before a race. It's, it's, It's got a lot of anger, a lot of kind of a feeling there, but it doesn't actually result in a whole lot. They're, they're, not, they're not powerful to be able to, to carry that out. They're subject to the rider. The, the nations are, are raging, but they're subject to God. Peoples are plotting in vain. What does that mean? They, didn't they kill Jesus? Wasn't, didn't their plotting result in the death of Christ? Yes, but that was ordained by the hand of God. And then, then God used that to pay for our sins. And God raised Jesus to life. Their plotting was in vain. Their plotting was truly for naught. They thought they would destroy the word of life. And yet God resurrected hope through Jesus. 
And then in verse 26, it says, the kings of the earth, look down your Bible, it says, the kings of the earth set themselves. The rulers, they were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Not only was it Herod and Pilate and the rulers of the people of Israel, they gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. They're acknowledging that all the Roman authority, the whole Roman empire, the leading power in the world, And all the world's authorities and rulers, they were brought about and ordained by God to come against the Lord's anointed. They had got it known in advance and planned the opposition that Jesus had faced. They didn't know anything that happened to Jesus was part of God's plans, but nothing that they did was outside of the plans of God. And then look in verse 27 and 28, please. It says, For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Look at verse 28. This is, this is key in their prayer. That they were aware that God was propelling his plans through opposition. They said, To do whatever your hand Herod and Pontius Pilate and the, the leaders of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. They had confidence in the face of opposition because they knew that like Jesus was opposed, they were too being opposed because of Jesus and they were confident in God because God was the one who had ordained and predestined what would happen. So they knew too that God had predestined what was happening to them and that gave them great confidence and hope to pray. And they prayed in faith, knowing that nothing that happened to Jesus, God's very own son, had happened by mistake. And they prayed, knowing that God's own anointed one was beaten and mocked and whipped and crucified, all by the divine plans of the one true sovereign God. And they knew that as they faced opposition, this opposition, the difficulties, these challenges, they were all according to the hands of their sovereign creator and Lord. When you face opposition... Nothing is outside of God's plans. You can have confidence to come to him in prayer because he is overall. If God was not sovereign, then why bother praying at all? Why bother coming to a God who could do nothing? And yet, we do not have that kind of God. We have a God who's over all. In the truth of the sovereignty of God, the reality of God being over any and all circumstance, and the reality of his predestination of opposition, it didn't leave him apathetic. It didn't cause him to say, well, God, you know, what's the point of praying? You predestined everything. I'm just not going to do anything. No, that's not how they responded to this wonderful biblical truth. You see, the sovereignty of God, it led them to pray even more confidently. That's meant to be the effect for us. We had so much rich teaching this past weekend, and if you were not able to participate together in our renewed retreat, I would really encourage you to go and listen to all of those messages. And, and one of those messages was about the, the goodness of God in his sovereignty, that he is good to us in his sovereignty. And because of this, we can be moved to confidently pray You see, God, if he's not over all things, if he doesn't have the right and authority and ability to create and change all things, if he's not ruling over all things, then there would be no point in praying. But we have hope because God is truly in control. He's the creator of all. He can change all things. 
And the disciples understood this, that he has a right to everything. He's able to do everything, that everything happens to their plan. And what do they do? They confidently lift it up. They're lifting up their voices in confidence and prayer. And I think we need to see that personally. The sovereignty of God, it's actually meant to give us great hope in God, great confidence. Lord, you are overall. God, I don't understand the way out. I don't even understand if, if you leave me in this place of trials and struggles. God, I don't understand, but I know you are overall, and I know that you say that you are doing all things, working all things together for my good because you have called me. You predestined me to be conformed into your image. And God, I know that you won't withhold any good thing. Why? Because you didn't spare your son, so how will you not also freely with him give me all good things even when I'm not able to see those good things? When I feel separated by my sin, when I feel separated by circumstances, Lord, thank you that nothing separates me from your love and I pray because of your sovereignty that you would enable me and empower me. That's how we can pray. God's able to do whatever he wants and can do whatever he wants completely righteously and with the right to do whatever he plans. And God calls us and wants us to pray. And we can come to the Lord of all knowing that he wants us to ask him to move and work on our behalf and somehow mysteriously he uses prayer to accomplish his works. The disciples understood that nothing's able to thwart God's plans and they saw, think about it for a moment, the disciples saw the most heinous, hideous, awful evil that could ever take place. What what did they see? They saw the crucifixion of God's own son. Could there be any, any greater evil than to crucify the Lord of glory, than to, than to kill the only holy righteous one? Could there be any greater injustice than to, to punish Jesus for the sins that they had committed? Could there be any greater evil than that? The answer is no. And yet God used the greatest evil, if you will, to bring about the greatest good for all mankind. Can God use evil to work good? Oh yes, and he does. Even suffering in this opposition that they faced. Do do you see like the disciples did that whatever opposition you face, God can use it for good even if it's a potentially painful, difficult thing. And he can use that in a holy, righteous way. He's not the author of evil, yet he ordains Things for our good. I want you to notice, notice something else here. Um, if I was a disciple, I would be tempted to pray, God killed them. <laughs> I, if you saw what they did to Jesus, I'd be, I'd be tempted to pray what the disciples post prior conversion, what they did pray. Remember that? When they, they were, Lord, do you want us to pray and call down fire from heaven on them? You know, <laughs> I think I would have been that way. I think I would have been, Lord, kill them, kill them all, wipe them out. Like, nothing opposed you. But I want you to notice what they pray. They didn't pray that God would even bring judgment on those who opposed them. That's shocking. They didn't pray to avoid persecution. That was not the first place they went. I think I'd be praying some of those things. How about you? The disciples didn't ask for what I think I might have asked for. I might have said, you know, Lord, would you please stop them? God, quit. Make, make them quit. Make, make all opposition cease. God, remove any obstacles we're facing. Lord, make our way easy. Lord, open up a door, Lord, so our path is easy, how we sometimes pray as believers. But they didn't pray that way. 
They didn't think that opposition meant they should stop, that a closed door meant that they were to stop speaking. I might even pray, God, just protect me and keep me safe. And that's not a wrong prayer. That wasn't a bad prayer, but it's not where they began. They, see, they understood that they were living on a mission that was far more important than their safety. And they prayed that they might be able and faithful to do what Jesus had commanded them to do. When you and I, when we encounter opposition and difficulty and challenges, where do we pray? How do we pray? How do we think, Lord, let me be faithful. God, whatever comes, whatever I might face, Lord, would you enable me to do what you've called me to do no matter the difficulty I face? God, I, I trust you that you're gonna sort out judging people. I don't, I don't need to pray for that. I don't, I don't know perfectly. You see, they were living on a mission. They prayed they might be able to do what God had called them to do. Remember, Jesus had said that, he said, you will be my witnesses, and he commanded them to go and to make disciples and to teach them to obey all that Jesus had commanded them. And so the content of the prayers, it was all about enabling them to be faithful to what God had called them to do. They prayed that God would strengthen them and enable them and they faced difficulty and opposition. They knew that God would use whatever opposition they faced to bring about his purposes, to bring about his plans. And so they prayed that, in the midst of opposition, they might proclaim his name. That was the first thing in their hearts. That they might be found faithful in proclaiming the greatness of the God who had forgiven them and made them alive and given them hope. And the third way that we should view and respond to opposition in addition to prayer and looking to God in faith is the God over all opposition is to proclaim the gospel message. You see, this passage, it really teaches us that God uses opposition to propel his people to proclaim him. Oftentimes, it's, it's in those times when the church has faced greatest opposition that God furthers his good news. If you've ever read a, a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs, it's a, it's a very old book, but it's, it tells many tales and accounts of those who gave their lives for the sake of the gospel message. And God used the death of those who were faithful to him to, to spread the gospel like wildfire. And so in verse 29, it says, what do they pray? And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They, they prayed that God, the, the just ruler of all, he would look on their threats and he would hear them and that, that he would act justly on their behalf. But, but look at the justice they're asking for. You see, they're leaving God to judge the Sadducees and the leaders and they're asking God to enable them to face their opposition, to speak boldly. They describe themselves too. If you notice, look in the Bible, it says, and grant to your servants. The word there is bond servants, sometimes translated as slaves. It's like an indentured servant, one who belongs to someone else. And so they say, God, grant to your servants. They're asking God's permission because they are his servants. They serve at his good pleasure. And so they're asking his permission to be able to speak his word with boldness. And there's a little bit of irony here because servants were not free to speak. And yet God frees them to speak his word. It's the word for boldness there. It's speaking freely. And they pray that they would speak freely, speak boldly. Something reserved only for free men. And it was for freedom to speak in Christ's name that Christ had set them free. And so these bond servants pray they might be allowed to speak freely. 
submitting to his authority, recognizing they're serving his purposes. And here, they're most concerned they might be faithful to carry out the commission that Jesus had called them to carry out as his servants. And they knew that if they wanted to be faithful eyewitnesses, if they wanted to speak his word with boldness, they knew they needed God's enabling power. Do you recognize your need for God to be able to speak for him when you face opposition? Are you praying? Are you looking to God in hope, knowing that he will enable you, he will empower you, he will give you grace? And then are you living your life to speak for him? Our mission as a church is to, to be disciples of Jesus Christ, or that to be our, our primary identity as disciples of Jesus Christ, so to be disciples who are growing as disciples and then making disciples, and the primary way that we make disciples is through speaking Jesus speaking the things about Jesus, speaking what he's commanded to us and their whole lives oriented around being disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what our whole lives are to be oriented around as well. Sadly, at times, my life is not oriented around speaking on his behalf and being his disciple. How about you? What is your life oriented around? What is the mission you are on? What are you primarily aware when you face opposition and difficulties? Are you aware that God has called you to be light and darkness, that he's called you to be salt, to flavor the world and season the world around you with his good news? You see, his disciples, they were living on a mission to speak and to preach Jesus to a needy world. Their whole lives were spent to speak God's word with boldness. It's not saying it's wrong to pray for protection, but... When we face opposition, are we concerned that we might be faithful witnesses for God as well? Is our prayer when we face opposition, we might continue to speak his word with boldness? Do we think of ourselves as living on a mission to speak and preach Jesus to a needy world like the disciples did? They saw the world around them and they saw that the need was great and they wanted to speak the redeeming grace of God in all that they did. I think sometimes we're concerned too much about not suffering ridicule, about worrying about what people think about us. I think sometimes we are concerned with our own comfort. Because of that, I think we avoid praying like this. You know, today we can face all kinds of opposition to speaking in the name of Jesus. Young people can face opposition to the name of Jesus in schools. I just heard a story from a friend last week about his daughter who was in school and at recess and she was telling other people about other kids about Jesus and and then the teacher overheard that and then she was telling other kids in the lunchroom about Jesus and the teacher heard that and the teacher came to the the child and tried to intimidate him and said no you can't talk about Jesus on the school grounds at all and so my friend prayed and he just said God I, I pray that you would enable us to to speak your word boldly that even in the midst of of the opposition that our daughter's facing. And so God gave them, just a happen to give them an opportunity to, to bump into the principal and talk to them. And they shared their concerns. The principal agreed, yeah, the teacher can't dictate what the student talks about on their own time. And, and yes, the student could speak of Jesus freely. And God granted their prayers. So their daughter is able now to speak freely and boldly on, on her school grounds about who Jesus is. We can face opposition and challenges all the time because of our faith. Maybe people mock you when they find out you're a Christian. Maybe it's people in your workplace or maybe it's in your job, in your family. Maybe you have 
a job in the military and there's, there's great opposition growing in the military for, to be a Christian. Maybe the opposition is just subtle hostility. Maybe it's mocking or belittling that you're facing or even outright challenges. Maybe you are facing opposition in your very home when your spouse or your family members or your parents, when they don't believe in Jesus and they're anti-God and it's a hostile environment and maybe they're ridiculing you, maybe they're calling you names, maybe they're saying you're a hypocrite because you fail. You don't really believe all these things. See, you failed again and so they're mocking you and they're hostile. I think God would see, have us see this passage in Acts and have faith in him, that he is sovereign, he's overall and he wants us to come to him in prayer. He answers our prayers. He can enable us to speak his word boldly. He wants us to speak his word about Jesus to our children, to our family members, to our coworkers. Um, when we're on the streets in whatever situation he's placed us in, he wants us to speak his word with boldness. And he wants to empower us to speak his word in the face of opposition. Opposition does not mean we're doing something wrong. Now, if you're, if you're, if you're being opposed for being sinful or speaking sinfully like I have been, yeah, that's, that's when we need to keep silent about those things, but we're never, never to think that because we speak the name of Jesus and being opposed that somehow God wants us to not speak any longer. He wants us to speak his words of life. Do you realize that we've been given the very words of life in Jesus Christ? I think the disciples realize that. They, they had the very words of life in a dying world. People who were dead in their skin walking around all around them, they had the words of life that God would use to, to make them new, to resurrect them, to get, take away their heart of stone, to give them a heart of flesh. And he wants us to empower us to speak that life-giving word as well. Look in verse 30. The disciples prayed that God would be evidently at work in their ministry. Here's what they prayed. He says, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus what were the disciples asking for? They wanted God to demonstrate his word with power. While God demonstrated his power, they prayed they'd be able to speak boldly. Look at verse 31. God answered their prayers. God answered their prayers. Look in verse 31. It says, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued. What's the result? They were filled with the Holy God answers their prayers. He shakes the place to let them know he's definitely answering the prayers. He fills them with the Spirit, and the result is they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. God answers prayers. He enables his people. He empowers his people to speak on his behalf. Notice something. It says, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. Why did God do that? Why did God shake the house? Think about it for a moment. He could have just filled with them a spirit, right? And then sent them out and they could have been bold, right? That would, have been, that would have been good and okay. But I believe that God shook the house where they were so that he could demonstrate that he not only heard their prayers, he wanted to let them know that he is indeed powerful and mighty and over all creation. God wanted them to have the confidence that he is the God who's able to shake the very foundations that they were resting on. Literally, God is able to shake the very foundations of life. He's able to, 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 to move in any and all circumstances, any situations, what seems unmovable, unchangeable. God is the God who shakes. 
So I think God shook the house they were in so that they might not be shaken by any mere mortals who threatened them and opposed them. God was shaking the place that they might not be shaken and fearful in their hearts. He wanted them to see that he truly is the one to be feared and they didn't need to fear any lesser mortal who could only put them to death. God is the one who's able to shake all things and he was their loving father. I remember a few years ago, we were driving on the way to, to our small group and, and the skies seemed sunny and, and everything seemed wonderful and there's no clouds in the sky and all of a sudden the sky turned this weird, ominous kind of green color and then off in the distance I kind of saw this V kind of thing. I'm like, ooh, look around, honey, because it's, it's, there might be a, a tornado or something. And so we're driving and then all of a sudden we are in, in pitch blackness. Our, our entire van is just shrouded in, in what well, was once sunny. Everything is black. And then there's hail flying every direction all over the place. And the, the car is just shaking and rattling like, like a rag doll in a dog's mouth. We're just, we're just shaking all over the place. And then, in two seconds later, it was all gone. And the sky is clear. Everything was all good. I think we were on the outskirts of a, a tornado that had touched down. A, a bunch of tornadoes touched down all over the area. And, and, it, and it shook us. And, I, and I, I, won't, I don't think I'll ever forget that experience because I was aware that there was a power greater than me acting upon me that was shaking. And I think when the disciples experienced God shaking this house, I think it gave them confidence that God is, is greater than them. He's greater than humankind. He's overall, he is sovereign, and he's at work, and he answers prayers. And he, the powerful God, poured out his mighty spirit on them so they might speak the word with boldness. God demonstrated his power to them, but he didn't shake it to scare them. He shook it to show his power over all things. And then it says that he filled them with his Holy Spirit. God honored their prayers, filled them with his enabling spirit to speak his word with boldness. Now I want you to remember who's initiating this prayer. How did this all start? Who, who's initiating this prayer? It's Peter and John. Who were Peter and John? They were, they were two of Jesus' best buds. They were his, two of the three dearest disciples to Jesus. And they were aware that they needed God to empower them. All the disciples of their own, they were aware that they needed God to enable them, to empower them, and yet God answers their prayers and he fills them again with more of himself. You remember this, this is not the first time that we see that his disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were already born again, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then on the day of Pentecost, it says the place that, where they were, it was filled with a mighty rushing wind and the Holy Spirit filled them all. And yet, just a few, just two chapters later, they're needing to be filled again. What's up with that? Isn't this like one and done? Or at least two and done? Or, you know, when we're baptized in the Spirit, then we're filled with the Spirit, some, this inaugural filling. The, what, why? Why? Why were they filled again? You see, as disciples, it wasn't enough for them to be filled with the Spirit once. They needed the continual filling of the Spirit to enable them, to empower them, to be faithful to what God had called them to do. We need the fresh filling of the Holy Spirit to enable us to be faithful to do what God's called us to do and to speak on His behalf. And if you are operating off of yesterday's grace, 
I'd encourage you to cry out to God and say, Oh, Sovereign Lord, please come and enable and empower me. Fill me with your Spirit so that I might speak on your behalf and be your witness. Somebody once asked a 19th century preacher named Charles Spurgeon, they said, why, why do you talk about needing to keep on being filled with the Spirit? And his reply, he had a sense of humor, but it was also, also very true. His reply, and they said, why do, you, why do you talk about needing to be filled with the Spirit all the time? And he says, because I leak. It was true. It wasn't just true for Spurgeon. It was true for the apostles of Jesus Christ himself. It was true for these early disciples of Jesus. And it's no less true for each and every one of us who are disciples of Jesus Christ today. We quickly leak. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes, the apostles of Jesus Christ, they were called in a unique way, but they weren't all apostles here. They were gathered together. And at the day of Pentecost, there were were many believers gathering together just like here not, not all of them were called to full-time vocational ministry. That's not why they needed his filling. They needed his filling because all disciples of Jesus Christ are called to proclaim his name and all disciples of Jesus Christ need his empowering Holy Spirit. Are you aware of that? Do you know that? Do you long for that? Do you look for that? Here's the good news. If, you, if we ask the Father to give us the Spirit, he won't give us something bad for us. He won't give us a stone. He'll, gi- he'll give us the bread of life. He'll impart fresh manna for today. All disciples of Jesus Christ need to be empowered to proclaim the name of Jesus. In Acts, it's all about how God's plan continues unhindered, how, how Jesus continues to expand his church despite any opposition through the empowering of the Spirit. Yes, God is sovereign, and yes, his plans continue unhindered no matter what. Yes, Jesus is building and expanding his church and this church. We're not fearing that. But he does so through empowering weak, needy, leaky people. We are weak, needy, and leaky people. And he fills us with his Holy Spirit to proclaim his name. We serve a sovereign God and his plans won't be hindered by any opposition or difficulty that we are currently facing or that we will face. What's our hope though? What are we relying on? As a church, as a, as a local manifestation of his body, we're, we're relying on Jesus, the creator of all, to, to expand his church. But we're also relying on the empowering of the Holy Spirit to proclaim the name of Jesus in everything that we do. Yes, God is sovereign over opposition. He doesn't waste opposition but he uses it to bring about his purposes and his plans and he calls us to come together as God's people to pray for boldness let me encourage you this week in your small groups and in your families come together to your own and say God we're facing some challenges we're facing difficulties we're facing opposition Lord would you please enable us to be faithful would you please enable us to speak and proclaim the name of Jesus in all that we do Go and ask if the band would come forward. I don't know where they are, but if they'll go ahead and come forward. If you could stand for a moment, please. At times, God uses difficulty to shake us up. Maybe you're experiencing difficulty right now in opposition. You might feel like you will be shaken to the very foundation of who you are, but He shakes us through opposition to get us to look up to Him. And to pray for boldness and to trust him to proclaim his name. 
He, he, he uses opposition to get us to look to him, to hope in him, and to remind ourselves that he alone is sovereign and he is able to do all. Someone once said that God uses difficulty at times like sharpening stone on us as his instruments, his, his knives, if you will. And that opposition is like a whetstone at times and we're being ground against it. But he uses opposition to sharpen us, to, to make us more useful as his tools, more effective for his purposes. And here's our trust. We can trust that he's a good shepherd who though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we can fear no evil because we know that he's going to lead us to streams of his living water and make us lie down in green pastures forevermore. Amen.